Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Ruth, Naomi helps Ruth navigate the Israeli dating scene. We'll pick it up in Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. The title of the message is True Intimacy. Ruth chapter 3. Well, the whole theme of the book of Ruth is it's a, a true love story. A true love story. Not just a love story, but a real one. What it's really like, what it's really about. And of course, we've talked about how, well, this is showing a love relationship between Naomi and Ruth, the loyalty that Ruth had toward her mother-in-law and how she stuck with her, even though it was at great risk to herself, the love that Boaz and, uh, shows towards Ruth and then how she'll respond to him later on with the same type of loving commitment, but ultimately God's love for us. But when we get to chapter three, Naomi thought God had destroyed her future because she and her husband had decided to leave the promised land. Through Ruth, God has shown Naomi that he's always loved her and he still wants to bless her. In the last two months, they have been wonderful for Ruth. Her and Naomi's needs are being met. Ruth has a group she gets to be a part of each day. And she has this budding friendship with Boaz that we discussed last week. Well, once the harvest is done, though, at the end of chapter two, that mechanism for all of those things will go away. So Naomi decides it's time to give back to the daughter-in-law who's done so much for her. So chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? And now is not Boaz of our kindred, with whose maidens you were? Behold, he winnows barley tonight in the threshing floor. Therefore wash yourself and anoint you and put your raiment upon you and get you down to the floor, but do not make yourself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down that you shall mark the place where he shall lie and you shall go in and uncover his feet and lay you down and he will tell you what you shall do. And she said unto her, all that you say unto me, I will do. And she went down into the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. Here we see that Naomi has come up with a plan to make sure that Ruth is cared for. The barley and wheat were planted in the autumn season. They were ripened in the spring. Barley matured faster and was harvested sooner in April. This would kick off the feast of first fruits in all the feasts that the Jews celebrated throughout their year. Wheat, on the other hand, was harvested in May, which was celebrated on the feast of Pentecost. And then fruit was harvested during the summer and early fall months. And then you would do it all over again, replant and wait for the spring to harvest again. So that means chapter three puts us right at the start of summer. And it's at that moment that Naomi, her mother-in-law says unto her, my daughter, shall I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Shall I not means it's, is it not my duty? And which means it is, she saw it as her duty. Is it not my duty to seek rest for you? The word there rest, it means to seek a home for you. And I said, what do you mean a home? She already has a home. She's living with Naomi. Well, this word here for a home, it refers to the security and benefits that a woman found in marriage back then. Naomi would not be able to provide for Ruth forever. And once Naomi was gone, Ruth would be very exposed as a widow in a foreign land. Parents saw it as a responsibility to arrange a marriage for their children. And now that Ruth 
has left her homeland, that's Naomi's responsibility. And so she says to her, and now, how am I going to do this? She says, and now is not Boaz of our kindred with whose maidens you were? The phrase is not means we've talked about this a couple times. We've talked about Boaz after you first met. We've talked about it beforehand that he is a goel. He is a kinsman redeemer. He has the right of redemption. He can marry you and redeem you and raise up seed for you so they'll be taken care of. Well, now is the time to act upon that. Now, when she says here, Boaz is not Boaz of our kindred, that is not the word goel. It means a distant relative which means Naomi knows that someone else has a stronger claim on being their redeemer. But she says, have no fear. (laughs) Naomi, like every good Jewish mother, has a plan. Behold, he, Boaz, winnows barley tonight in the threshing floor. Now, the idea here is her plan is there's an opportunity to speak with Boaz alone tonight. We can take care of this problem tonight. Now, the threshing floor, these were level places either of smooth rock or pounded earth. They usually put them on a hilltop so that when the wind would come in off the Mediterranean Sea in the evening, the harvest stalks would then be winnowed. What they would do is they would toss the stalks into the air with a a shovel or a rake of some sort, and the grain would break off and then go to the ground while the useless stalk, the chaff, would blow away. And so he's doing this tonight. So the harvesters already gathered in. Now they're separating the chaff from that usable part of the stalk. Now, when they would do this, these were often times of celebration. The harvest is finished, yay, and they had a successful year. And so tonight, she knows, is one such evening. Boaz is going to be at the celebration. They've been winnowing barley. They're going to be celebrating. I want you to do something. Verse 3, I want you to wash yourself, therefore, and anoint you, and put your raiment upon you, and get you down to the floor. But do not make yourself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. In other words, don't just go walking into the celebration. She's going to explain when she's going to introduce to him and herself to him in verse 4. But in verse 3 first, she needs to make preparation, because this is an important conversation she's going to have. She needs to make it special. Wash yourself, therefore. Now, bathtubs back then were extremely rare. They're usually only owned by the most wealthy. Bathing for physical cleanliness was probably not a daily behavior for most people. In fact, that's why perfume was coveted so highly back then, because it covered up the body odor. Not recommending that today. Most of us have bathtubs or showers of some sort. But bathing was also not a once a month thing there either. Most bathed in bodies of water, pools or lakes or something like that. And if those weren't nearby, then rainwater would be collected and baths would usually be taking place in the courtyard of one's home. You'd go outside. That's how David saw Bathsheba bathing. He would go outside and in the courtyard, usually a courtyard would be shared between about four or five homes. You'd have the meals there. The cooking would be done there. Bathing would be done there. And so this is normally how that would take place. It was not something they would just go do privately every day. You'd need to find a time where you get alone in private and bathe yourself out there in the courtyard. So bathing was not something necessarily happened every day, but it was a regular part of life. But bathing was always the norm in anticipation of a romantic encounter. A bath was followed by rubbing the body with perfumed oil, or if you were poor, olive oil. And this would create a pleasant aroma in addition to keeping the skin from becoming dry. So Ruth, you need to take a bath. And anoint yourself. This is not just going to be a regular bath. You're going to anoint yourself with oil to give yourself a pleasant aroma, to make your skin soft. And then you're going to put your raiment upon you, King James says. Literally, it means put on your best outfit. 
and then get you down to the floor. Now, based on these instructions, Ruth knows that Naomi's suggesting, oh my, you, you want me to make my wishes known to Boaz tonight. You want me to tell him that I want him to marry me. So she knows she needs to make her best impression. So she's going to make herself, beautify herself as the best she can for this very special night where she's going to ask Boaz to redeem her. Now, a question, of course, that comes up is, well, how do these instructions fit with 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10? 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, Paul teaching Timothy how to be a pastor. He says, tell the guys to do this. He says, I will for, therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And then in like manner also. In other words, this is not a specific thing for Timothy's church, but this was a universal principle. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest clothing with King James says shamefacedness, which just means modesty. And in sobriety, which refers to humility, moderation, the idea of not overdoing it. And then it says, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but rather adorn yourself with this, that which becomes a woman who professes to be godly, adorn yourself with good works. So, so how does Naomi telling Ruth that you need to beautify yourself, make yourself you know, as good as you can look, how does that fit with this? Well, 1 Timothy is talking about a woman's general conduct in life. A woman of God should be known for her godly character, not her care for her looks. In other words, ladies, if your physical appearance is the largest weapon in your arsenal to influence the people around you, whether for good or bad, that is a problem. That should not be how you do life. But Ruth, on the other hand, is not talking about the same type of situation. Ruth is talking about two godly people who have become friends, and one of them would like it to become more than just friends, hoping the other person does too. This is going to be a private encounter conversation between these two individuals, not Ruth's public persona. The question that you need to ask yourself is this. Why are you beautifying yourself? Is it to hide your insecurities? Is it to control a situation or a relationship? Is it to turn heads and feed your ego? Is it seeking to capture someone's heart without first building a friendship? If any of those are the reasons that you're investing so much time into beautifying yourself, well, then you should spend some time talking to the Lord about those things because that's not the right reason to beautify yourself. Now, what are some good reasons? Well, to be an example to your kids about taking care of yourself, to be a blessing to those you're interacting with, and I promise you that body odor is maybe genuine, but it's never a blessing. I'm just being real, bro. Be real with some Old Spice deodorant then. I'm often asked if it's important to be attracted to someone if you're looking to date them. Is this important, Pastor Will? I don't know how to answer it except to say, yeah. Yeah. That shouldn't be the sole reason that your relationship begins. But if you have zero emotional attraction to a person you're likely headed for some serious problems in your marriage. God did not create Adam and Eve as just a mind or just a spirit, to have just an intellectual relationship or just a spiritual relationship. He gave them a soul or emotions. He gave them a body, physical. A biblical romantic relationship in marriage is important for intimacy, which is one of the principles established by God when he created marriage in Genesis chapter 2. It says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, that's separation, cleave to his wife, permanence, second principle of marriage, and the two shall be one flesh, unity. And then it says, 
and the man and his wife were naked and they were unashamed. Intimacy. Those are the four principles that God established in the beginning when he created marriage. So a biblical romantic relationship is important for intimacy. So now true intimacy is not just a good sex life because that can be defined differently by different people. And if you're married tonight, my guess is that you've had some interesting, intense fellowship over your differing opinions on what constitutes a good sex life. But true intimacy occurs in a marriage when the body, soul, and spirit are all engaged in a married couple's romantic relationship. Because an intimate encounter can be physically pleasing but still wound a person deeply. And that wound could be caused by something as simple as ignoring them unless you're looking for sex or ignoring requests that your spouse has made before a romantic encounter. I used to watch Home Improvement with Bev when we were more newly married and, you know, Tim the Toolman, he and his wife, we loved their relationship because it was a genuine, caring, loving relationship and stuff. Every once in a while, they would show at the end of the episode that a romantic encounter was about to take place. And Jill, the wife, he would always ask her as she might have put on something nice. And he would always say, did you brush your teeth? And she would always, you know, and then go back in the bathroom, like he spoiled the moment. And, and yet, guys, brush your teeth. I mean, especially if they have asked you to. Like, if that's coming up, you're like, hey, did, did you brush your teeth? That is the gentle way of them trying to give you a hint. Your breast stank if you don't. And it's not pleasurable. And, and the problem is, is it's not just amounting to something not being pleasurable, but it starts to hurt because you start to think, do they even care about me in this whole experience? Do you understand? Or washing your face or taking the time to make the day special, not just the last three minutes because you're ready. Or it could be demanding your spouse do things that they said they're not comfortable with or ignoring your spouse's sexual needs on a regular basis. Here's the thing about intimacy in the garden with perfect marriage. Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. Do you get that? And unashamed. That's God's design for marriage. And it should be one of your goals if you are married. If cultivating your intimate relationship with your spouse isn't important to you, then you need to talk to the Lord about that because that does not please him. That's how he designed marriage to be. You might be saying, pastor, it's hard. And there's been so much hurt, so much frustration and so much disappointment. Of course it's hard. That's why you like throw a wedding for it. It's why you don't do it with everybody else. That's why it's called intimacy and not going for a walk. You don't have this type of relationship with anyone, literally anyone else in the world but it is what you signed up for when you said, I do. It's not an optional part of your vows. So husbands, love your wife like Jesus loves you. Serve her. Listen to her. Be content. Do special things, and not just because you're hoping it leads to something else. Take care of yourself. Listen to your wife's advice about clothing and personal care. My guess is you didn't just say, oh, well, it's another five pounds when you were trying to get her to date you. Now, if you're a wife, make your husband a priority. Serve him, encourage him, do special things. And not just because he's doing his part. 
Instead of focusing on the things that you don't like, look for the things you can delight in him about. Take care of yourself. And if you have time to beautify yourself to go see a movie with the girls, you've got time to beautify yourself for the one who's supposed to be your best friend. Now, while Ruth's appearance is going to make her intention clear to Boaz, Naomi doesn't want her making those intentions known to everyone just yet. And so she says, but don't make yourself known unto the man until he shall have done eating and drinking. Now, a servant would normally be the one appointed to guard his harvest through the night. He would not eat or drink so as not to be sleepy. So Boaz is not that person. In fact, a man of Boaz's position would not even normally be at the celebration. It was usually the workers who had this celebration. But it's clear he enjoyed their company. We've already noticed that from the book of Ruth so far. But apparently he enjoyed their company so much that he was well known for taking part in these celebrations because she knows he's going to be there. So he says, don't go in when everybody else is around, but wait till he's done eating and drinking. And it shall be when he lies down, when he goes to sleep that night, because they would sleep by the stuff so they didn't get stolen. When he goes to lie down, you shall mark or observe, find out the place where he shall lie. And then you will go in. This would be an open area, not a building. The word here just means to come. Then you will come to him and you shall uncover his feet and then lay you down and he will tell you what you shall do. So she said unto her, all that you say unto me, I will do. And she went under the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. What's this whole uncover his feet part? I mean, I don't know about you, but if I was sleeping at night and somebody uncovered my feet, I would not consider it a romantic encounter. I would consider it rude. The phrase uncover his feet can have sexual innuendo, but it does not always mean that. In fact, the writer in this chapter takes great pains to make sure we understand he's not trying to communicate that. So please don't listen to anyone who tells you, oh, they they slept together or something like that. That is not what's going on here. But that doesn't mean that her action wouldn't be an intimate one, though. He uses this word because it is a very intimate action that she does to him. Women did not go around lifting up men's robes while they slept. You see, men, they didn't wear undergarments back then, all right? It was unnatural. You didn't wear undergarments back then. The tunic that you wore, which was the closest thing to an undergarment, it would go down past the knees, but there was nothing underneath that. In fact, it was considered an insult to look up at a man when he was more elevated than you because you would uncover his nakedness. That's what Ham did to Noah when he went in. Noah passed out because he was drunk and he was laying on the ground and he walked in and saw, saw up. And so he uncovered his nakedness instead of seeing and going, oh my gosh, you know, that, that whoa, you know, and, uh, you know, got to make sure you don't get a hold of that stuff anymore. He didn't. He, he didn't do any of that. He, he, he completely insulted his father. So female tunics, on the other hand, they were bound together or tied with like a, a multi-layered sash or girdle that gave them a bit more privacy. But this is actually why, though, it's still considered rude today to let a woman walk upstairs in front of you if you're a man. You usually go side by side or you go in front of her because you don't want to uncover her nakedness in that sense. That's considered rude still in in most cultures today. So to uncover Boaz's feet means that she lifted his robe just enough to expose a part of him that no one else saw in public. Not completely, but to uncover a part of him that no one else saw in public. 
Now, to show that she's not trying to tempt him sexually or anything like that, Naomi tells her to lay down, not next to him, but at his feet. We'll see that in a moment. That's what Ruth does. She says, lay down, but Ruth makes it clear, I lay down at his feet. That's what she wanted me to do. Now, again, this is an incredibly intimate action, and yet it's full of purity. God doesn't tell us in Scripture that a dating relationship is to be void of attraction or desire or even some measure of emotional intimacy. God doesn't tell us that. Passion for Purity by Elizabeth Elliot, if you've never read it, it describes the emotional intimacy and desire she and her future husband shared while being unmarried. And yet they remain pure, respecting one another and being obedient to the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter four, verses three through seven is probably the clearest text on dating in the New Testament or acquiring a spouse, however you want to phrase it how you're going to be with someone that you're not married to, but you want to be married to or hope to be married to at some point. So if you're in a dating relationship or you want to be someday at some point in time, this is where you're at. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, for this is the will of God. This is what God wants. Even your sanctification, your holiness, your set-apartness from the world, that you should abstain from King James's fornication, but of course that means sexual immorality, the whole gamut, to stay out of all sorts of sexual immorality. God doesn't want you to, to get involved in any of that. He wants you to be set apart, wholly different than the world. Verse four, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, that you would know how to acquire a mate, a spouse, in sanctification, which means set apart, holy, different than the world does, and in honor by showing them respect, treating them like a dignified creation of God. Not in the, King James says, lust of concupiscence. Where else are you going to see and hear that phrase? Not in the passion of lust, that means, even as the Gentiles which don't know God. In other words, the concept of sanctification and honor is the exact opposite of the passion of lust like the world goes after each other. And then he explains, verse 6, that no man go beyond, the word there means to take from, and defraud, which means to seek to get more. That no man go beyond, take from, or seek to get more from his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we have forewarned you and testified. For God has not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Now, uncleanness here means the impurity of uncontrolled lust and selfish motives. That is not how we go about a dating relationship. If you're looking to possibly spend the rest of your life with someone thinking, I'd like to get to know them better, I'd like to enter into a more close relationship with them, well, then it's not about your selfish motives. It's not about uncontrolled desire. It's about holiness. Holiness means that your love for that person should be like the Lord's love for you because he's holy. His love for you is selfless, right? He showed it that when he went to the cross for us. It's completely selfless. And so does that describe your dating relationship? Is it selfless or is it selfish? Well, Ruth, you know, after hearing the instruction, she goes, I'm on board. And so she goes, she heads toward the, the threshing floor, just like her mother-in-law told her. Well, verse 7, things are going to get heat up. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, 
and his heart was merry. Again, this does not mean drunken. The word merry just means to be in a positive, glad attitude. There is no even a suggestion of drunkenness here. When Boaz had eaten and he had finished the celebration down there, and his heart was just, he was so just glad. Life was good. It says that he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn. Now, we already know, saw that in chapter 2, that it's clear that Boaz has an interest in Ruth. But Boaz isn't pining in loneliness or singleness. He's happy and thankful. His life is good, and he finds much to rejoice in here. And so the night's done. He goes up, lays down next to a big, huge pile of grain go to go to sleep. Well, here comes Ruth. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Strong on me will say